Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Jennifer Brown, an entrepreneur, a speaker, and an author whose book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, is a shortlist OWL award and Nautilus Book Award winner in the business category. Her work has also been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and in the Harvard Business Review. She is the founder and CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting, a strategic leadership and diversity consulting firm. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jennifer. Matt, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm going to start us off with a phrase that appears frequently on your site. The phrase is this, quote, helping create a future of work that is worthy of all of us, end quote. We are definitely in a period of immense turmoil right now regarding many things, but also what the future of work will be. How can a focus on diversity and inclusion help us towards a more equal future? Yeah, I mean, I think it begs the question, how has it not been um, a welcoming place for all of us to thrive? And I think that the the origin of that is that um, it really wasn't, you know, the modern workplace wasn't built by and for many of us. Uh, when we think about the diversity that I focus on, whether it's gender diversity or um, ethnicity diversity or people with disabilities or LGBTQ plus inclusion, um, you know, the workplace was built in a very, I think, monolithic way through a certain lens that worked for certain kinds of lives, like certain kinds of identities. And so, um, and so I've been dedicated for many years as I've run a consultancy in this space to gather data, qualitative and quantitative data on what, you know, what gets in the way for certain identities to thrive and to flourish in these workplaces that have been frankly, really slow to change. Um, you know, people don't like to change, organizations are difficult to change, and the question might be change towards what, um, and what does success look like? You know, I think we are, we are figuring this out. Um, we're building the plane as we fly it, as we say. <laughs> uh, but this year has been, in particular, a huge call to action relating to all of this and has really, really stoked the fire of the work that we do and a lot of my other colleagues in the space, because it's just become much more overt and more plain and more, more truth is being shared about what specifically the workplace has felt like for so many people um, and the derailers and the challenges and the unconscious bias and even conscious bias that has impacted a lot of us and kind of derailed us or slowed our progress or, or discouraged us to the point where, um, you know, we just, we think to ourselves, you know, I, I can't, if I can't flourish here, I'm just, I'm just phoning it in or I'm not engaged or I'm going to go and start my own thing because, because I'm miserable. And, you know, I don't want a world of work like that. And I also am very aware that not everybody wants to be or can be an entrepreneur. You know, we have to build, we have to build employers that do better for all of us. And that's what we get to focus on every day. One thing that has always fascinated me, and it, it's fascinated me in a lot of these conversations, is some of the origin stories of our guests. Do you have a defining moment that got you to the place you are today, or a defining moment that made it crystal clear what you wanted to do with your life? Yeah, I, uh, let's see, I was an opera singer um, when I came to New York and I trained really hard and I ended up losing my voice and having to get surgeries and 
it was a nightmare. And I reinvented, you know, I stayed on the stage, but I, I changed fields and I became a leadership trainer. And I did that and, you know, built that career in HR for a while and, you know, then went on on my own. Um, but I think that the big piece of finding your voice is really important for me. The metaphor of having lost it and then having to fight to get it back, which is what I had to do. Um, you know, I carry that along with me. And then I realized how many don't have a voice in the, in the workplace, right, around their own story, their own identity. Um, they don't see others that look or, you know, look like them, sound like them, et cetera. Um, and being a member of the LGBTQ plus community as well, I've been out since I was 22, but I was closeted as a performer, uh, closeted for part of my time as an entrepreneur. And the, the metaphor of the voice continues to be so powerful as I think about uh, those of us who literally, literally stay quiet about who we are um, because of fear. And so when I started to realize this was not just the province of LGBTQ plus people who are in the closet. It's actually a, a nearly universal experience to downplay parts of who we are, to compromise in order to fit in, to, um, you know, feel sort of outside of a dominant group and, and, you know, struggle with that. And, and once I was able to make that connection, I think it's made us really incredible. It's enabled us to have this incredible niche and this incredible, do this work, you know, to say, you know, we can represent all the different ways that we don't bring our full selves to work. And we have the data and the research um, and the team to actually teach about how, we, how, what would, if we were to address this, what would it look like? Uh, so, yeah, I think that my own, a lot of it kind of comes back to my own journey of revealing myself, of committing to my authenticity, of being, you know, loud in the world and owning my story and then realizing that that was something that is sort of universally a struggle and something that I could uh, somehow, you know, work towards unlocking. I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to shift, but we see success stories, you know, every day. And I know so many courageous people in organizational contexts that are like literally shifting, shifting entire companies with their bravery, with their courage, with their authenticity. It's really inspiring to see. So I know it's working, but there's a lot of work left to do. Many of our listeners either are people leaders today or they aspire to be in the future. What are some of the things that we should all be aware of when we're leading others to ensure that we're leading in an equitable manner and creating that culture that you're talking about that embraces inclusion? Yeah, that's so critical. Remember, like, you know, when you are someone's direct manager, you have so you are almost like the most powerful element to their ability to thrive and their want to stay in a job, which we want. We want to retain talent. Um, but remember, people leave managers before they leave jobs and companies. So that, that role is critical. And I think what we have to do and what we've learned this year in 2020 is some of us have not really been on a proactive journey towards inclusion ourselves. Like we've, we've either you know, if we have the privilege of having a diversity team in our company that we work for, we will turn towards that and say, oh, they're going to run everybody through unconscious bias training. So like, that's all I really need to know. I can check the box and move on. Um, some of us view this as compliance. It's a compliance conversation, something we have to do instead of something we really get to study as human beings who want to evolve. And as leadership really evolved to, to speak to a diversifying world, 
there's not a single manager or leader among us that can afford to sit on the sidelines of, of this conversation. I mean, we are managing across more and more difference on our teams and our colleagues, um, with, you know, globally, not to mention the complexities of that, cultural differences. Um, we have to get better at this. And it's not something that we can turn to our black and brown colleagues or turn to our female colleague and say, like, hey, would you take care of this? Or would you make sure we have a diverse slate of candidates? Or where are all the black and brown people? It's your responsibility to fix it. <laughs> um, we've got we've to shift, uh, I think, the number of people that really, in a meaningful, concrete way, take this on, not just as a leader, but on a sort of personal level. Because I do think it is a personal journey as much as it, as it, as it is a leadership journey. But this transcends the workplace and it transcends the role we have in the workplace context to our families, to our kids, to our community groups, parenting, schools, houses of worship. You know, I don't know a single institution right now that's not struggling with diversity and inclusion related issues and equity issues. So to be a voice in all the places we find ourselves and to be prepared to lead even as we maybe haven't seen ourselves as leaders in the, in, on this topic before, we can all step forward and get good at this. It just, we have to apply ourselves. And this is what I talk about in my second book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader. There, I, I provide a four-stage model, and we have an inclusive leader assessment you can take. And between those, those, those two tools, it, it, I think, launches us on a trajectory of, you know, taking a harder look at ourselves, thinking about, what we say and do on a daily basis, thinking about all that we need to learn, and then thinking about how do we activate, activate our voice in the world and become a change agent versus perhaps um, believing we do enough or abdicating that to somebody else. It really, it has to, I think that we have to go together towards whatever's next after this, this very challenging year. You know, we, we've got to go forward together and differently than we have in the past. So so that's what I, I sort of focus a lot of my work on is engaging, engaging people that think they're not really sure what to do in this moment and they're not sure they, they, can, they can do something authentically or skillfully. And I, the permission I give is to be an imperfect, imperfect ally for this conversation because perfection is impossible. Believe me, I, I, I cannot achieve it and I do this for a living. So, you know, I think that's the very first step is to sort of acknowledge that this is not not an easy thing, but so many things that are worthwhile in life are, they require discipline and they require discomfort. And that's where we grow. One thing that you said that really resonated with me was the whole concept of, of being okay, being a little bit imperfect. And, and a question that I've had the pleasure of asking a lot of our guests is, what do you wish you had known when you started out on this journey? Not that it would have made it potentially any easier, but, but what would you tell your younger self about this journey that you were about to go on? In, and what do you wish you would have known? Hmm. Well, I think if you've got a big idea and a big vision, like a lot of entrepreneurs do, uh, I, I feel that I probably was not supported adequately. I didn't, I didn't set up my support network, I think, in a way that would keep me safe and that would um, provide second and third pairs of eyes on everything I was doing. And so, um, and I think as a woman, as an LGBTQ person, and I know this is especially true for founders of color, 
um, at least when I started 13 years ago, there wasn't a lot of support, right? There weren't, there weren't a lot of role models. There weren't a lot of people you could reach out to, to say, Hey, would you be on my informal board of advisors and, and, and look over like the hires that I'm making or look over the financials, make sure that, you know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm running whatever I'm running profitably. So I, I do think that the, what you like knowing what you don't know and being extremely proactive to protect yourself and to surround yourself with people who can um, make sure you don't step in the landmines is really important, especially when we consider that most companies never pass the $1 million revenue mark. And most companies don't even survive. I think, I, I don't know whether it's three years or whatever. And so when you are an, an underrepresented founder, also, I would really keep this in mind that we are kind of outside of some of the support networks that come very easily or more intuitively to others. And so this becomes an even more important kind of safeguard to put in place. So don't be afraid to ask for support. Um, you know, we, some of us have to educate ourselves much more deeply on the one-on-one of business and entrepreneurship. And that's just something I wish um, I had done. I did my best. But I think I, I wasn't sure who to trust. I probably probably didn't trust the right people. So, you know, I, I think that um, just be smart. Be smart about what you're setting up. Um, you know, be thoughtful. Activate ex- experts around you. Surround yourself with good advice. And, you know, try to really trust the people you trust with, with your sort of inner thoughts, your struggles, your um, everything that you're putting in place to see like is this the right way to set this up because it was something I didn't know coming out of a creative field and then coming out of uh, sort of the corporate world you'd learn nothing about entrepreneurship um, so I, I think that that would that's a piece and then the other thing is if you're if you don't love sales and marketing and you're going out on your own like that's you've got to kind of love it or figure out how to resource that function because without that you can't get your work out into the world so um, that's actually something I, I felt very lucky to be good at and passionate about. Um, and that really enabled me to, I think, transcend some of those early mistakes. I've always been a believer that not only is a focus on diversity and inclusion the right thing to do just from a humanitarian perspective and just being good stewards of, of people, it also is a business imperative. And there are some actual benefits to for lack of a better way to describe it, the bottom line for doing the right thing in this arena. Are there ways that you've conveyed that to business leaders who are potentially a little bit more reticent to go down this path and consider making changes to the way they hire or the way they conduct business? Yes, we often lead with something called the business case for diversity. And you know, I won't go deeply into it, but there's a lot of research available on how diverse teams are more innovative. Uh, boards and C-suites with more diversity do better in the markets. Um, the ROI on, you know, the war for talent and as talent diversifies, the importance of retaining all those people that you work so hard to bring in to companies only to have them go because they find the organization in a toxic place. Um, so anyway, there, there is literally lots of statistics you can arm yourself with for those who are more uh, reticent. And that's for people who are reticent because, I mean, there's a lot of reasons people resist, right? They either don't understand there's a problem. Um, I think that's honestly really pervasive. People who believe 
um, the workplace feels relatively comfortable for everyone because it feels comfortable for them. Um, people just, we, as humans, we see things through our own lens. I mean, our, our lens is, it limits our understanding of what can also be true. And we make the mistaken assumption that our lens is the right lens. It's the only lens. It's the truth. But it's actually not. It's, um, you know, workplaces are experienced by different people of different identities in radically different ways. Um, and though, and, and that's real. I mean, that's real. It's, it's, it's endlessly researched, et cetera. So I do think when you meet with resistance, you have to explore what the source is of that resistance. And then you've got to bring the right medicine to that. So it can be the business cases I was talking about. It can be um, examples of the derailers that talent experiences in workplaces. Um, you know, McKinsey has a, has a report they do with lean in every two years called women in the workplace. And I really, there's so much in that research that I think would provide an aha moment for somebody that believes, you know, that they, they lead sort of a meritocracy in their workplace, that everybody has equal opportunity and everybody, you know, can just needs to work harder and pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And, you know, I think that kind of, of research provides a different way of looking at what's actually happening in the workplace and, and often can wake somebody up to say, Oh, I, I might be well-intended and I might believe that I, I want everybody to have equal opportunity, but the fact actually, as they are researched by, you know, in the women in the workplace report, like they, they do not bear that out. And so what we're trying to do is really awaken people to, um, to kind of revisiting their beliefs to really like evaluating and taking a hard look at their own behaviors and their responsibility. Um, and then to equip them with what will, okay, Jennifer, now I get it. What do I do now? And that's honestly where we are right now with a lot of people who perhaps were, were resistant and maybe still are is okay. I'm being told and I'm living through 2020. So you'd have to be living under a rock not to understand that there's some seriously broken things. What do I do now? Um, how do I use my voice? What do I say? How do I lead? Um, and that's what I endeavor to get to in the second book and, and in all of the things I do, which is to say, like, how can we, how can we awaken leaders? How do we equip them with an understanding of, of why this is important and then what is their role to play in change? And that, you know, that looks different for executives and then it looks maybe for managers then it, then it looks for colleagues. It looks different for, you know, white, straight male leaders. Then it might look for a woman of color um, at, you know, different point in her career, you know, we can all, I think there's different things we can do to activate our voice, but we are all needed. That is for sure. Uh, but, but each of us has to find kind of, well, what is the impact that I want to make? That is a wonderful <clears throat> dealing with that reticent and that refusal to potentially move to where we are going is a wonderful spot to end this part of the conversation and shift to our final two rapid fire questions that I get to ask all of our guests. And question number one is this, Jennifer, if you could describe your personal leadership style in one word, what would that word be? Uh, trust. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? <laughs> As a business owner, I would say it was say yes and figure out how later. <laughs> I, I, I just loved that because I love trying to 
find solutions and I know I don't have all the answers, but it has, um, I think it has enabled us to survive and grow. And um, I've learned how to trust and put that leadership trait into action in terms of asking, you know, who can help me, who can help me fulfill this, uh, this need. And that's, that's really the fundamental question when you run your own business and when you're just starting out. So yeah, I would say, I would say like find that confidence to say yes um, and, and build that network so that you actually can put something of value together for people, or if not refer them to the right people. Well, trust and figuring it out is a wonderful spot to close. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Yes. Thank you for asking. Um, so I have two books. Um, Inclusion is the first one from 2017. And then How to Be an Inclusive Leader, which I've talked about earlier in this episode, is from last year, 2019. I have a podcast called The Will to Change. And you can find out more about our services at jenniferbrownconsulting.com. Uh, you can also look me up on Twitter. I'm at Jennifer Brown, Instagram at Jennifer Brown Speaks. And uh, if you go to jenniferbrownspeaks.com, which is my author website, you can download a free chapter's book. And you can also take the Inclusive Leader Assessment, which is a 10-minute free assessment that helps you figure out where you are on the journey and gives you some helpful resources, podcasts, books to read, et cetera, to further yourself um, on this a very important journey. So uh, thanks so much for, for asking and, and I hope folks will engage with our resources. Well, thank you for all the great insight and resources. And thanks to all of our great listeners for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Learn to Lead Podcast. And you can find our organization Ability. That is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E at Ability.com. Be sure to subscribe subscribe so that you get our next episode. And I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.